You're listening to episode 47, chapter 2 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. And today we're continuing our conversation with Alan Fadling, author of An Unhurried Life. Alan Fadling serves as a frequent speaker and consultant with local churches, national organizations, and leaders internationally. He's also president and founder of Unhurried Living Incorporated in Mission Viejo, California, inspiring people to rest deeper, live fuller, and lead better. He shows leaders how to get perspective so their leadership flows from a full soul and out of healthy rhythms of rest and work. A trained spiritual director, Alan is also the award-winning author of An Unhurried Leader and An Unhurried Life, which was honored with a Christianity Today Award of Merit in Spirituality. It seems that no matter what your culture is or where you're at in the world, hurry has infected our way of life. We all feel hurried. We seem to be perpetually busy and yet behind on our work. Whether it's in ministry or some other vocation, we all feel pressured to produce at the highest level. We desire to be excellent in everything we do, and we should strive for excellence. But excellence doesn't mean we should be hurried. As Alan Fadling points out, Jesus is proof that you can serve others with excellence and still live an unhurried, relaxed life. And as followers of Jesus, we must learn to make this unhurried life part of our lifestyle of discipleship. Why have we missed this in the church? Like, why has the church then caught on to this culture of hurriedness so much that, you know, I I, I don't know of a single pastor who wouldn't be at least, uh, you know, guilty or have fallen into this trap at least most of the time. I mean, not even some of the time, most of the time, right? I mean— that's the language of the day is I'm too busy or there's too much going on. Well, yeah. I mean, if you ask somebody, how are you? And they give you a one word answer. One you'll get is fine, which is shorthand for, I don't want to talk about it, but the other one you'll get is busy and it's kind of half complaint and half boast. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really in demand. I'm busy. Lots of people need me. And I don't know exactly why. Um, I remember, I think it was the, there's a former chaplain of the U.S. Senate said that the, the life, the Christian life began in Palestine as a relationship. When it moved to Rome, it became an empire. When it moved mm-hmm. to Greece, it became a culture. When it moved to, uh, no, when it went to Greece, it became a philosophy. When it became, moved to Britain, it became a culture. When it moved to North America, it became an enterprise. So wow. I think that our, you know, our strength as a culture is our can do problem solving big picture orientation. It, Mm -hmm. it is a gift. It's a strength. I believe that. And like every strength that can be overplayed. And so, you know, I think there's a number of theological ideas that uh, have somewhat been covered over by that entrepreneurial, somewhat driven orientation to things. One of them is the idea of grace as sanctifying and grace as empowering. Um, Some have a wonderful grace for justification, but it's unclear how grace 
relates to our ongoing sanctification, our being transformed. Um, one of my mentors said, you know, just as surely as we're saved by grace, and we are, so we live by grace, and we serve by grace, and we lead by grace. So I think it, it's a bit of a blind spot. And the thing is, our, you know, it's not just North America, it's probably European, at least in, you know, recent generations uh, up until. But the thing is, we have trained the leaders of the world. So mm -hmm. it's also become a worldwide reality. And we've exported technologies that we developed to enable us to live this way even more potently. And we ex exported that too. So I find hurry, at least in urban centers, everywhere I go in the world. I've interacted with leaders in India, in Russia, in multiple African countries, in Latin American countries, where you wouldn't even think the culture lends itself to the kinds of hurry we're accustomed to. But the leaders are hurried mm -hmm. because you know, they came, many, many of them came to us for training and they took good training back home with them, but they also took what a friend of mine calls a virus, you know, the virus of hurry our cultural dynamics. Mm -hmm. We never taught that to anybody. It's just, they just caught it from us. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's at least part of what it is. It's just some cultural assumptions that are unexamined. But I think in the light of who Jesus is and how Jesus lives, his way would invite us to call into question some of the assumptions that underlie that. See, that's, that's really good and really important to look at. Because when we get deeper into those assumptions, like th those are the most dangerous things is, is our cultural assumptions that we don't even know are there that are ruling our lives and controlling us. Uh, like that's an incredible story that uh, an entirely different cultural group of people caught something that they just sensed. And so, again, if if you're doing good teaching and good training, praise God. But then again, they're looking at your the way of life. And they're saying that must be the way I do good ministry, and uh, yeah. So we, this is so incredibly important for us to evaluate within our own hearts and our own minds. For me, that, um, tell that me really does betray our view of Go. what grace is. Like you're talking about, if we feel like we continually need to hurry and do and do and do, I mean, we're falling prey to what Paul talks about in Galatians, and having begun by the Spirit, we're now trying to continue and finish in the flesh. And I think that's that's one thing that I've really wrestled with the last few years. Um, I'm a recovering legalist, and so for me, the the temptation is always to do so that I can be accepted by God in some way. And I, I started to to really flesh that out in my mind, uh, just my my thinking and evaluate the the motives behind that. And really, I was I was trying to reach some level of perfection. Well, the problem was the deeper I went down that hole, the more I found I was imperfect and the more work there was to be done. Kind of like, uh, who was it? Einstein mentioned that the more knowledge we get, the, the larger the, the circumference of the circle is and the, the more that we actually find we don't know. And so, so I'm sitting here thinking about this and realizing, well, if I'm just going to try to to be perfect and find the bottom of this hole of whatever character flaws exist in my person, and it seems to be unending, um, well, there, there can't be 
there can't be a point at which I reach perfection then. And so if that's the case, how is it that any level of performance, any doing, then leads to salvation? And it can't be. And so if that's the case, then it has to be grace not only for justification, but for sanctification all along the way as well. Because if if we are saved and we're going to be rescued from this body of sin and corruption, um, then it really, this is going to sound weird, but it can't matter how far along the process we are. What matters is that we are trusting God to deliver us and change us. And as we stay in relationship with him, that begins to change. Anyway, all that to say, I think when we have an, a hurried life, it feels like we're we're betraying an understanding that grace doesn't apply to the way that we live out our Christian lives. No, I think I think you're exactly right. You know, and and you know, as a fellow recovering legalist, you know, I my earliest years were in very conservative, bordering fundamentalist kinds of communities. You know, it it gets grace and works backwards. You know, I work from grace. I work from salvation. I, I work from being beloved. I work from, I don't work for that. I don't work toward that. And legalism gets that backwards. It, it imagines that the good thing will come when I reach some level of performance. And of course, as you say, the thing you learn, you know, perfectionism and legalism works great in your 20s. It really doesn't work as well in your 50s unless you're totally blind to the reality of what you're facing. You know, it, it, unless you're just going to cover your eyes and, and pretend, which some people choose to do. Uh, but it, I don't know that it's a way to live. So I do think, yeah, unhurried grace is another way to talk about that, that this, this life. So one of the ways I like to talk about it is in the chapter on rest, the rhythm of creation, one of, the, one of the ways I get at this is in our culture, work comes first and rest comes second, if it comes. Like you work until you're exhausted, then you collapse, you call that rest, and you only stay there as long as you have to, so you can get right back to work. My argument is that biblically and theologically, rest comes first, that's grace, and work grows in the fertile soil of rest. Now, by rest, I don't mean naps and rolling around on your bed like a sluggard or anything like that. But it's that rest is the place of relationship. Rest is the place where I establish who I am and remember who I am. Then work becomes where I express who I am. And in our culture, we get those reversed. We're trying to prove something by our work. No, no, no. We're not proving something by our work. We're, that's already been proven. What we're doing in our work and in our moral practices, our spiritual disciplines, what we're doing is expressing grace and expressing identity. We're not proving it. We're not earning it. We're not grasping for it. And that's a very simple little shift that's, that's, that's easy to miss in our way of trying to live well and follow Jesus. There's a reason, step one, in creating a lifestyle of discipleship is knowing your identity. As Alan mentioned, our life should be rest, and from that rest flows our work. It can be tough to wrap our heads around this, though. We feel as though we're called to do something, called to work. And it's true, 
A Christian who doesn't work or produce anything in life probably isn't living a lifestyle of discipleship. Our tendency in Western culture is to work to achieve. As Christians, we can put that behind a facade that says we work in order to hear well done. But what we're finding as we walk this lifestyle of discipleship is that it's far more important to rest first and as our primary mode of existence in life. When we do that, we rely utterly on God's grace, on God's provision and care for us as his children. And as we do that and live in that identity as his children, we're transformed into people who are just like our Father. And when that happens, our lives express our identities through work and productive creativity. So I want to challenge you today to practice a shift in your thinking about how you live your life. I know that sounds huge, but I want to start out small. We often think of our workdays as the main thing that we do. Our time before the workday starts is spent in preparation, and our time afterward is spent in rest recovering so that we can repeat the process again the next day. Instead of doing this, I want to challenge you to try thinking about your workday as the thing that you do on the side. Think about it as the break that you take from resting. Don't worry about having a major perspective shift from this one exercise. Instead, think of it as the beginning of a journey. The first time you lift a weight at the gym, or the first bite you take during a diet. It may even be quite difficult at first, but begin to think about your life as rest and about work as something that comes out of that life of rest. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Alan's work, check out unhurriedliving.com. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Alan lays out the signs of a hurried life and how you can begin to find rest. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.